0: Good evening, everybody. you okay, got my notes? I was at work yeah I was at work? Bam Romans. It's an easy book. We don't need much, so. not very deep at all or anything. Okay, Romans. We'll be in Romans chapter 1. Sign up for camp. Please sign up if you want to help um, uh, in any way, shape, or form. Looks like we could use some counselors and um, some other things. Uh, And then uh, set up and tear down and all that. Um, I think we're going to do one night where we grill uh, hamburgers and hot dogs. And so, We've got guys out there that can do that, but if that's something, hey, you know, I could show up for one night and grill hot dogs, chickens, and, or chicken, not chickens, not the whole thing, although that would be interesting. Chicken and, you know, whatever, and I want to come out to just do that one thing, love to. That'd be great. That, we're that specialized now at camp. So, um, anyway, sign ups out there. Also, kids have obviously, we've obviously given you another week for signing up your kids for camp. Because um, I know that I put out 100 registrations, and I think we've got 20 back. This is a look of haughty derision. Mm. Um, so anyway, bring them in when you get them in, and uh, checks when you get it. Registrations more important than the actual money. We kind of need to know how many cabins and so on, how many counselors and all that. So just get the registrations in. We'll see the money later. Um, if you need a scholarship, um, just maybe write a note or something on inside your packet or something. Hey, could use a little help this year or whatever. We've got some scholarships available for your kids, um, and just uh, you know, just let us know if you need that. Okay, Romans chapter one. Now, to be honest, I I, I know that Romans is a deep book. I know. Um, And as I was studying, I realized how many commentaries and how deep it can go. And to be honest with you, some of those guys, even my eye, I just kind of glaze over reading them. I'm like, okay, wow, that's a lot. The most impactful for me as I was studying was um, David Guzik. As he begins uh, into Romans, he writes down several uh, testimonies of ancient men and women of the faith, coming to know the Lord through this book. And I think the point of that was we could dig deep, we can go deeper, but honestly, it was in the reading of the book that by chapter 2, this one got saved. By chapter 4, this one got saved. By chapter 6, this one got saved or revived. John Wesley, Martin Luther, so on, big guys, that, you know what, it's in the reading of God's Word, and Paul did a pretty good job commentating on his own walk and his own gospel. And so I don't want to spend, I don't want to, I don't want to get too too much into the trees. I want to see the forest, you know, because that's where salvation lies. It's in the whole picture. So anyway, chapter one, that's all we're going to do tonight. I'm not going to try to cover two. I think that was a little ambitious, but this was written about Romans, uh, Romans was written about uh, AD 57, um, it was believed um, that he was in the city of Corinth when he wrote it, um, on his way to Rome, hoping to go to Rome. Um, and so, uh, as he was there for several years, or for a year or so, um, it's possible that he wrote it there. There's other, you know, ideas as to when he wrote it or where he wrote it. Um, but we believe in Corinth when he wrote it. So if you're reading the book of Acts, which we just got done with when he's in Corinth, that's when he probably wrote this to the Romans. Looking forward. Now, two years from the time that he wrote it, he does end up in Rome. But remember the problems um, that he was going to encounter. First of all, he's going to encounter uh, a lot of brothers and sisters in the Lord encouraging him not to go to Rome, even though he desperately wanted to get there. Nothing was going to keep him from that. Um, But the Holy Spirit also told him that he'd probably go there in chains, and he did. He did end up going there in chains. But he was so excited about getting there, he wrote this book. This book is different from all the other letters that he wrote. The rest of the letters are to churches established and the problems that they were encountering or encouragement to those churches. This was meant to, if I don't get there, you've got it. That's why this book is so important. This is one of those books that if, if if I don't make it there, at least I've got it in writing, and you've had it for two years in your hands, it will speak for me. It is my words. It is my gospel. It is what I would tell you if I was there in person. So um, a very good book, a very important letter to the Romans. The Romans are us. It isn't written to the Jews. It isn't written to you know to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. He does acknowledge that, but... It's to us, the Gentiles. It's to us, um, those who weren't born of Israeli descent. And um, um, so just, you can just take the word Rome out of there or any, any uh, specific reference to a people group, and you can put your name there. It's us. It's for us. Um, so be encouraged in this. When there are promises shared in Romans, it's for you specifically. It's for me specifically. Um, It isn't to that group. Boy, weren't they lucky to have all those neat promises. Nope, it's for us. Okay, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. By the resurrection from the dead, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience uh, to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a rich uh, invitation to read this book, right? What an encouragement. Remember, this is full strength. This is like, did uh, anybody ever have tang when they were a kid? Does anybody remember tang? This is when mom wasn't looking, you'd rip it open, and look your finger, and you'd just, uh, eat that tang. Most of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. It'd be like lemonade, those powdered lemonades or Kool-Aids or whatever. I mean, it needs to be diluted. It's supposed to be diluted. We're supposed to absorb this and kind of fill in the gaps, but Paul gives them just a the whole thing of tang here is the idea. So it's deep, it's rich. Paul, a bondservant, he always called himself that. Well, the first thing he says to Jesus Christ when he is on the road um, to Damascus was, what do you want to do with me, Lord? What is your ser- What can I serve you? How can I serve you? From the, from the very first, being a servant, 25 years later, that's when he writes this, 20, well, 20 plus years into his walk with the Lord ministering, He's still a bondservant. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. That's faithfulness. That's the first thing I want to notice about Paul. He's a faithful brother. He's a faithful man. He's faithful to God. He's faithful to people. He's faithful. He's faithful. faithful. Who can find a faithful man? That's the most important part of our walk with Jesus Christ is being faithful. You may have ups and downs. You may have valleys. You may have mountaintop experiences. But are you faithful to God through it all? Are you faithful to people through it all? Just being faithful. Sometimes you only have a teaspoon of something to give somebody, but you're faithful to give it. Sometimes you've got a mountain of stuff to give somebody, but you're faithful to do it. Maybe lean spiritually, you may be rich spiritually, but you're faithful. Paul is faithful. He's a bondservant now, just like he was a bondservant when he first got saved. He's also called, called to be an apostle. Everybody's called to be something. What are you called to be? That's the most important thing. (laughs) There's a lot of most important things in the book of Romans. This is the next most important thing, is to figure out what you're called to do and do it. But that's it. Don't do any less. Don't do any more. Do what God's called you to do. I think sometimes we venture off into areas we're not called to do because we think it's a stepping stone. I'm called to do this, but boy, I aspire to do that. Aspirations get us in trouble usually end in disaster, usually don't go so well. It's important to find out what you're called to be and just be it. I am called to be a plumber, then plumb. You know? I'm called to be a farmer, then farm. I'm called to be a rancher, then ranch. I'm called to be a pastor, then pastor. You know, I've tried to do the evangelist thing. I do the work of an evangelist, but I've told you many times and you've experienced it many times, I'm just not called to that. I will give you the gospel. We do baptize a lot of people. Somehow or another, in the midst of all these teachings, every Sunday and every Wednesday, people get saved because they're coming down from the beach and they're getting in the water. wasn't necessarily from what I shared. It might have been something else, but people are getting saved. That's a good thing. But hopefully we're growing. That's what a pastor teacher is here for, to help us grow in the Lord, to help us to get more mature in the Lord, to say the hard things, you know. Um, I'm called to that. When I venture off in areas that I'm not called to, mm, I get into trouble. So I stay. There's a lot of pressure from other people to encourage you to go into areas that you're not called to. And I'd encourage you um, to stick with what God's called you to do. Remember Remember who is your boss. Remember who is the one who's equipped you. He hasn't equipped you to do anything else, no matter what anybody else tells you. He's equipped you to do this, do this. That's it. They may be disappointed in you. They may wish more of you, but and you can try. There's nothing wrong with taking a venture, a step of faith. I think I might, you know, but when you reach landmines, when you hit those landmines in <laughs> in your walk, step back and get back to where you're supposed to be. It's really good. It's encouraging to me. Paul's called to be an apostle. The rest of the guys were called to be apostles too. You know, we never we think of the twelve apostles, but Paul's an apostle. There's other apostles outside of the original twelve. Matthias we don't hear much about. He was the one chosen to replace Judas, and yet here we see Paul's an apostle. Barnabas was an apostle. Others were apostles. Um, that just simply means called by God, sent by God. You know, um, I don't. I wouldn't call myself an apostle. I think that that's something you let God do. You know. He can call you an apostle, but I'm always leery of people that say, I'm an apostle. You said that with a really deep, resonant voice, like you're proud of it, you know, kind of thing. And it makes me wonder sometimes, I'm an apostle. Okay, well, good for you. <laughs> Whatever. Um, Paul says, I'm an apostle. He also says, secondly, I'm separated. I'm separated. I'm separated to the gospel of God. Separated from what? It means you have to be pulled away from something. Remember what Paul was pulled away from? being a Pharisee, being just another leader of the Jewish nation. I'm going to separate you. I'm going to separate you from everybody. I mean, this is one lonely guy. This is one guy that really understood what it meant to have the sufferings of Jesus Christ because Jesus separated himself to do his Father's will. And anybody that wanted to do his Father's will was right alongside of him. And at the cross, he was alone. Paul has similar situations throughout his walk. He gets separated to be an apostle. He's separated to to the gospel. He's separated for that one thing. It's what he does. God holds you responsible for what he's called you to be. He's never going to hold you responsible for what he hasn't called you to be. Okay, that's important. Rest in that. Be encouraged in that. Find peace in that. It's okay to be what you are in Christ. and Just be that. And so... He says that as much I'm a bond servant I'm an apostle I've been separated to the gospel of God, pulled away, separated for the specific purpose you know um it'd be almost you know I, I get in trouble in these things, but you know i'm a i'm I'm a tool in God's hands, and then that's great that she means you're an apostle but now i'm a, i'm a, I'm separated as in the tool bag for some specific thing i'm a i don't know um I've got a funny tool that I always challenge my kids to. They love playing with it, but they don't know what it is. Wrench is easy. You can spot that. That goes on a bolt, you know, or a nut. Not really. It'll go on a bolt, I guess, too. Bolt or nut, wrench. Saw, they understand that that is. But this thing's got two rolly things on the end. It's made of plastic. It's a plastic handle. Could be wooden if you're a professional. But it's got two plastic things, and the plastic things are grooved on the wheels there, so the wheel just rolls. Does anybody know what that is? Screen, very good. You install screen, that's right. Pretty specific, but essential when you need it. Everybody try to put in one with a screwdriver, a flathead screwdriver, try to punch that, push that black uh, gasket in there to put that screen in, tear. But you use that thing, (laughs) boom, boom, man, nice and tight, just like it's supposed to be. It's a good tool to have. Hey, we're all called to that. A specific tool for the right job. You may not get used very often, but boy, when that job you know, comes up, boy, it's nice to have you in the tool bag. You know, if I could ever find it in my garage. Which he promised this gospel that I'm separated to, called to. That's what I share. Has been promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his Son Jesus Christ, our Lord. This was told. Way, way, time. I'm not telling you something new. It's not a new doctrine that I'm telling you. This is something that's ancient. It's from Genesis that this was begun to be fleshed out. In Genesis, we talked about a Messiah. This is he. This good news that you've all been waiting for, that all the prophets were waiting for, I have it. I have the good news that we've all been waiting for. This promised good news that was prophesied about in the Holy Scriptures, I have that, and I'm called to teach that. And you are too. You're called to share that you have an ancient truth of good news that God has prophesied about and warned and encouraged and told way ahead of time, and you have it now. You have the gospel. You have this message that the entire world needs to hear. Okay, um, and says Paul says, I have that, and he's going to share it to them, give it to them concerning his son Jesus Christ. He's starting to unfold it now. Who is this good news? It's Jesus. That's important. He's who. The gospel is a person. It's not a theology. It's not a thought process. It's not a theory. It's not a uh, system of morals and beliefs and things. It's that's that's not it. He he is all that. But it's a he. It's a person. You have to have that relationship with the person. Calling yourself a Christian is. Deeper than what it really, you know, appears to be at times from people. I, I, I don't, I don't really know what they mean sometimes when they say I'm a Christian. What does that mean? Does it mean truly that you want to be a little Jesus Christ? Because that's what Christian means. I'm a tiny little Jesus Christ walking around. I'm just like him. I want to be just like him. I'm a little, little yippy dog that wants to be like the big bulldog. You know, remember that cartoon from Warner Brothers? Hey, Spike! And that little dog was yipping around, jumping around, and yip, yip, yip. that's me. Jesus is the big bulldog. I'm nothing like him, but I feel big when I'm around him. I'm tough and I'm a loudmouth for him, you know, because he's always there. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's the person of Jesus Christ that we're here to know. This whole book, the volume of the book, is written of him. If I want to know this person, Jesus Christ, who's always existed, created the universe, by him all things were made, in order for me to know who he is, I read this book because it describes him. It doesn't do any good to memorize this if I don't know that it's describing the person of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ and He dwells in us and He gives us His mind, the mind of Christ. It's a person, it's a person, it's a person. You can't have Christianity without Jesus, the Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus that this Bible describes. I know we all know that, but you'd be surprised how subtle it is moving through this world now that you can be a Christian, but don't talk about Jesus that's impossible. That is impossible. I'm I'm a Christian but I don't believe all the things Jesus said. That's impossible. That's impossible to be a Christian and not believe everything that he wrote and everything that he said. It's impossible. <laughs> Lots of things come to mind. I saw a post from a Christian that stated you've got to be a special kind of something to not believe that same-sex couples should adopt kids out of the foster care system, but you'd rather have them stay in the foster care system as opposed to have them be adopted by same-sex couples. you got to be a special kind of something. And this was a Christian that posted this. And I wanted to write with the real word that I'm not saying here, then me and Jesus are a special kind of something. Because that's what you're saying, Christian. Jesus is a special kind of something. Well, I didn't mean it that way. Yeah, well, that's what your belief says, Christian. Christians can't be called Christians truly if they don't believe the words of Christ if they don't follow the teachings of Christ, if they don't believe everything he's ever written. You can't be that. You're anti-Christ. That's a tough thing to tell somebody. <laughs> to look them right in the face. Oh, you believe that? You you know you're anti-Christ? They think of a cloven hoop guy with you know, horns and a tail that's swinging back there, a little red, you know, suit on, and he's going to dominate the world one day. And Paul says as much as many antichrists have come into the world. And, and if you join in the teaching that Jesus didn't say what he said and you don't believe what he said, and you think that you're going to, like a smorgasbord, pick and choose and make him out to be what you want him to be, then you are antichrist. So important. So Paul says, I'm not. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. He is the good news, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. In other words, he was a full-blooded man, completely man, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead, fully God. See how much doctrine he's getting here just in the greeting? Jesus was fully man, he was fully God. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Fully God, fully man. Well, what do you mean fully God? Fully God means he says about the temple, in three days this temple will be destroyed and I will raise it up. But he spoke not concerning the temple, but of his own body. That means Jesus Christ did not wait for the Father to raise him up from the dead. He raised himself up from the dead because he was able, fully God. Jesus raised himself from the dead because he was perfect, because death couldn't hold him, because death can only hold those who have sinned, and he was sinless, and therefore he was able to raise himself up from the dead and powerful enough to raise himself up from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for our obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also, you also, put your name there, J.D., also are the called of Jesus Christ, I am. To all who are in Rome, not some, not those, not a few, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Paul believed every single person in Rome was beloved of God and called by God to be a saint. Everybody. To all who are in Rome. That's why there's a comma there. He doesn't say, to all who are called to be saints in Rome. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. In that order. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace always go together, and you cannot have peace until you understand grace. But those go together, and that is the complete Christian. A person who truly understands grace and has received God's grace, which is his unmerited favor, has peace in their hearts. They no longer are burdened with that guilt and that shame. Now, that does creep up. You're like, wait a minute, I have a little guilt and shame. We do. That's because we believe Satan sometimes, and he is the whisperer in our ears that tells us he is the condemner when Christ has clearly told us that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we have to remind ourselves of that sometimes, that he's a liar. He's the father of lies. He doesn't care what Jesus said. He doesn't want you to believe what he said. So he tells you that you're condemned, that you're wicked, that you were saved, but now you're not because you're some kind of wicked heathen now. No, no, no. You're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, not based off of your performance. I say that to every single person I've baptized. Every single person that's ever got in the water with me out there, at least. I don't know what other guys say, but I remind them of this. Remember this day, look around you, soak it in, see the witnesses, feel the freezing cold air or the beautiful sunshine. No matter what the circumstances, remember this, because this is the day you remember that I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and not on my performance, because you're going to have bad days, you're going to have bad weeks, you may even have bad years. But your salvation is not based on your performance from here on it's based on what you're saying here right now, that I am dead to my sin, to my flesh. I now rise to new life in Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ live in me. To remind them of that and to remember this day. And they can look back on every, every bad day, every time they come home from work and say, I can't believe I blew my witness today. It isn't okay. It's not acceptable, but it doesn't evaluate, it doesn't change your salvation. Your salvation is what he did on the cross for you and your trust and your faith and your belief in that is why you're going to heaven. Grace to you and peace. Paul so desperately wanted everybody to have what he had. Grace and peace. Jesus wants you to have peace. He wants you to know that, that you have peace with God through his son, Jesus Christ. You have peace. We're not at war. God's not at war with you. You have peace. That's a relief. We may be at war with one another in the church, outside of the church, with nations. Everything else is at war because we live in Satan's realm right now. I tell you what, he is king, that's for sure, right? Right now, he is the God of this world. Jesus said so, but not for long. And so that's why the world looks the way it looks. That's why we feel that pressure. We feel that warfare going on around us. But we have peace with God. That's all that matters. First, <laughs> now he's going to start. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests if by some means, now at last, I may find a way In the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. This is specific. These are to the believers that have already sprung up in Rome. Everybody in Rome can be saved, but this is specific now. This is to those folks that are saved, who are are believers. A lot of people reading this book get saved. That's the intent. That's what John was written for too, that people might become saved. They might believe on Jesus for their salvation. That's the intent of this book also to the Romans, to lay it out for them. Either what's happened to you already, let me explain it because you don't know the details, or to get saved for you to come to know the Lord. I can't wait to get to you, he says. I've been trying to get to you within the will of God, I don't want to go outside of the will of God, Paul says, but I desperately want to see you somehow within the will of God that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. I've been praying for you. Even though I'm not there, I've been praying for you. You know, I didn't start this church in Rome, Paul might say, but I sure have been praying it into existence, you know, in a sense. I've been praying for you to get saved. I've been hoping you'd be able to hear the gospel. I hope somehow you've been growing I pray the Holy Spirit's been protecting you and watching out for you, just like a spiritual dad would do. I'm not your spiritual dad like he is to the Corinthians, but to these guys, you know, I've been praying for you. I always make mention of you in my prayers. That's a good thing, to remind someone. I've been praying for you Um, and mean it. (laughs) Sometimes... (laughs) To be honest with you, there's there's been times in the past when people say, "Will you pray for me?" You bet I will, and I forget. And so now I've taken the advice of all the other older guys in the faith before me and say, "Pray with them right then." That way you're never a liar. Will you pray for me? You bet. Let's pray right now. Pray with them right there on the spot, right in Walmart, right there in the chip aisle. Lay your hands on them. Pray for them. A couple people probably join in with you, you know, or ask you, or wait in line. Wouldn't that be funny? Can I be next? Absolutely. Let's have church right here by the Doritos, you know. Pray for people right there in the spot. Paul says without ceasing. Now, he's not as fickle and and distracted as I am. He prays always without ceasing for all these people. And I do. I do. I pray. But probably nothing like him. That would be hard to match that. Anyway, I hope to get there, because it's mutually beneficial for both of us. I know that when I minister to you, when I get there, it's going to be a total blessing for me. Paul had understood that. He's, he's been in the faith long enough to understand, when I give out, I get back. It's kind of an interesting thing that works out there. You are spent. If anybody's ever ministered to more, whether whether you're ministering in the Sunday school class, or you've filled in up here, or you've ministered in a, on a missions field, or whatever, just giving out the Word of God is the equivalent, it feels like, of a Marathon you get done you're just like oh how hard was that i don't know it was just hard i talked for an hour you know I'm talking that's real hard it is i don't know what it is when you pour out into somebody else you feel spent and you're supposed to you're supposed to and that's why we go back to the lord we that's why jesus got away after a whole days worth of ministry he knew what he needed i'm not physically exhausted although he did fall asleep in the back of the boat in the middle of the storm so he was but he knew he was spiritually exhausted. He would go get alone with his father because he knew he needed to get recharged. I got to get spiritually fed. I got to take in, you know. Anyway, Paul says, "When I, I want to get there, I want to bless. I want to impart some kind of spiritual gift to you. I don't know what it might be." And he's not necessarily talking about laying on hands and you get the gift of healing and you get the gift of helps and so on. Could mean that, but more than likely, just the spiritual gift of understanding a certain section about your faith. A little nugget here and there. I tell you, when I go to conferences, there isn't a teaching that goes by. There isn't a teacher, the most boring teacher. I take notes. I always get something from somebody. They could be the worst. Oh, great, it's him. You know, and everybody's like, oh, I'm going to skip that one. I wouldn't if I were you. I wouldn't skip it because he may go blah, 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 and that may be what it feels like. But all of a sudden, boom, lightning will strike you like, oh. And you'll be underlining, and that may be it. There it is. That may be all you get was that one thing. But it's such a spiritual gift because it just helped you. It just opened your mind, opened your heart to understand that thing you've been thinking about for so long. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And all of a sudden, it's perfectly clear. That one puzzle piece from that one teaching from that super boring guy just got shoved into place. and You're like, oh, I see it now. You know, so important. That's what Paul wants to do. I want to give you a spiritual gift. That's pretty bold to say. I've got spiritual gifts to hand out. Well, he knows. He knows what he's called to. He knows what he does, and he's seen the fruit of his life. He knows what he's supposed to do, and to withhold that is to withhold the beauty of it, the fruit of it. So he wants to give it out. Now, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant, brethren, that I often plan to come to you but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I'm ready to come. I'm ready to be there. I want to preach to you. But I've tried and I've been hindered. It isn't that I haven't had, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've made the attempt. And that's Okay. And I hope people understand that. I hope the guys in Rome understand that. But he felt compelled to tell them that. And I think we feel compelled to tell people that too sometimes. We forgot J.C. and Andrea's anniversary was yesterday. I forgot it. But we've been talking about it at home for a couple of weeks now. Oh, their anniversary's coming up. It's coming up. It's coming up. Then the day of, oh, we got a camp meeting. Totally spaced it off, you know. Totally forgot their anniversary. But I felt necessary, I think they know our hearts on the matter, but you felt necessary to let them know, hey, you know what, I intended to, I meant to, I wanted to, but my brain hindered me, you know, kind of thing from remembering. Paul's heart is on the matter, I really did think about you and I really did want to get to you, but I've been hindered until now. I haven't been able to get there. You felt obligated to let them know I love you, you know. I'm a debtor both to Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and unwise. And I, I, I don't know, is he putting those in order? The Greeks were the wise, the barbarians were the unwise. But I'm a debtor to both, <laughs> to the wise and the stupid. I don't know if I'd say that in a letter to people, but he did. He did. Both to the wise and the unwise, I'm a debtor. I've learned, I've, I've, I've gained um, from all of them. Everybody I've ever ministered to, I've gained something from so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the, first, for the Jew first and also for the, for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. That's, what's, uh, that's the important part of it. The, the gospel, the good news is the power of God to, to salvation, um, and still is. It's still just talking about Jesus that gets people saved. Um, we have an overhead projector now. I don't know how long we used to, well, we don't call it that. What do we call this? Is it considered an overhead It's a projector now, but I used to have an overhead projector where Jeff Kennedy would be there with his transparencies and he'd be sliding the words up as we'd read and sing. And then there a fly would land on it and crawl around. You see this giant fly rolling around. So certain things have changed. You know, we've modernized in certain areas. Look at these soft, cushy chairs you guys have now. Remember the gray ones? And older folks remember the white plastic ones, the stackables. And the hills are shaking their head, going, man, I remember the tents. Things have improved a little bit in certain areas, but you know what? It ain't the chairs, it ain't the projector, it ain't what we have. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves people. Still, always will be. We can do it better. We can make it more efficient, less distractions. We can always improve. You know, we've got heat. (laughs) That's a plus. But it's the gospel that saves, and Paul knows that can't wait it. I'm not ashamed of it. Why would you be ashamed of the very thing that saved you and is going to save others Is the answer to everybody's problems? The gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. What's the difference? Ungodliness is the first four commandments. Unrighteousness is the other six. The first four are towards God, the, the last six are towards man. That's the difference between those two. Uh, God's wrath comes against all godliness and all unrighteousness of men. Who, the men, suppress the truth in unrighteousness as they're doing those last six commandments or not doing those last six commandments, depending on what they said. It suppresses the truth. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. Men know God. They just choose to suppress it. All men know God. They just choose to suppress it. I think that's the most important thing we can learn as we're ministering the gospel to other people. They know there's a God. They may have not talked about him very much. They may have convinced themselves in their mind that there might be reason to believe there isn't one, but they know in their heart there is or else they wouldn't say, and they always go to him. They always blame him when something bad goes wrong. Why is that? Because it's built in. They know he's there. Well, it's your fault that all this evil's in the world. If there was a a loving God, these things wouldn't be happening. Why do you even invoke his name if he doesn't exist? Why do you even start there? Why does your mind automatically go there? Well, it's because I know what they're thinking. No, it's because that's what you're thinking. It came from your mind. God says it's always, they have all know him. They all know that I exist. Well, Paul says that, but God's writing this through Paul. They all know that. And here's how he explains it. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, that's us, even his eternal power and Godhead, the Trinity, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, if nobody ever shared the gospel with their mouth or read this book to them, they would still be held accountable because God says, I've already showed them. Creation screams me, all of it. If they sat down in a field long enough and thought about it and looked at all of creation, it would even show the Trinity. It would even show the need of a Savior. It would show the Father. It would show the Son. It would show the Holy Spirit. It's all there. This whole thing, everything we look at is one big Bible, Bible study, one big object lesson. It's so easy. The kids are out there. You can hear them playing out there. It's so good to get those kids outside, out of the classroom. So we can do some pretty cool crafts and some pretty cool things in there, but nothing compares to God's object lesson out there. Nothing can beat that. I think of the dirt kids and all the stories I hear about your kids when the, you know, how you homeschooled them and how they'd, uh, I hear Sonny would say how, how they'd dive behind bushes when cars would drive by the, the, the house and stuff. Remember those stories and he'd dive and, and I remember the two girls when we were, I was deer hunting and they were riding their horses up there. How much they learned from being out there. And they still love going out there, they love being outside. Um, always photos of them being outside, walking on the railroad tracks. you know um, I don't know there's just a lot there there's a lot to learn about God, just being in it and letting and letting the kids just be in it and explore it and absorb it you know um, they learned so much. I remember, I remember myself learning so much. I, I don't think I knew I was getting a Bible study, but I was. I mean, You could sit down and face down into the grass on a sunny day when I wasn't staring at the sun, which is why I wear glasses now because I didn't realize it was burning my retinas. Nobody told me. I'd see how long I could stare at it. What an idiot, right? So I'd look down sometimes. I'd be looking at the grass. It doesn't matter what part of the grass you looked out, Something would crawl by, which is a little creepy when you think about it no pun intended. I and mean, it's a little creepy when you look and you see creeping things are everywhere out there, you know, and you'd look and you'd see that and you'd watch things. You learn so much, and that's, that's God's school. It's his classroom, you know, and he says that. I built it that way. My invisible attributes are clearly seen and understood by the things that are made. I made it so that you could understand who I am, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse, because although they knew God, You knew it in your heart that there was a God. You knew there was something had to create this. These things did not just come from a pool of slime. It's impossible. There's not enough time. There's not enough chances. There's not enough opportunities. It couldn't possibly happen. Mathematically, it's impossible. It had to happen. They decided not to glorify him as God. We're going to ignore him. And so they didn't thank him because there was no one to thank but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that's what happens when you turn the lights off in your life. You flip the light switch off, what did you expect was going to take place? You know, I stopped reading my Bible. That's just a switch. You just turned it off, and my life got dark. It's really simple. I haven't had my quiet time in years. I don't know what to do. It, it's not complicated. You just flip the switch on open it. Where do I start? Where's my reading program? What, do I, what book should I get to help me? Just open it and read someplace. God will start anywhere. God's quiet times start anywhere. You, could, you can start, just pick, pick a th- and I'm going to start here. Now, I continue, I'd, I'd say read it in context and keep going through from that point on. But it doesn't matter where you start, just start. And I just haven't been to church in a long time, so just go. Just go, there's no path, there's no... Well, once you walk seven times around the building, then you can come in the door. There's no rules to it. You're here to worship Him, not please us. Just show up, you know. Turn the light on, turn the light on. But their foolish hearts were darkened. They were darkened, and so that's what happens when you sh- when you shut God out, things get dark, because He is light. And in the darkness, professing to be wise... They became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. It's really all that Darwinism is. That's all evolution is. It's just a, it's a system of beliefs that you have to have faith in, that you have to believe in, that you have to worship at. It's as far-fetched as what they would say Genesis is. It's even more far-fetched, obviously. And so, as a Christian, just so you understand this, and maybe can hold on to the not an arrogant thing or a prideful thing, but professing to be wise, they became fools. You know that, right? That those who believe in creation and believe the the testimony of God's word, that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, are smarter than any other atheist out there. Do you know that? They become fools when they turn off the lights and sit in the dark and say we're wise. It's not wise. They become fools, and they become fools. And, and your job is to walk in as a light bulb. Whether they like it or not, we had patches in our garage for a while as she was recovering from some of her wounds. Um, not with us anymore, and she's doing well in her new home. We've got photos already of our nice little cat without a tail now. She got beat up pretty bad out here, and uh, so she can't be out in the wild anymore. She's going to have to be cared for now. Um, but after surgeries and all these things, she's, she's doing well. But I'd open up the garage to check on her, you know, because I like her. I like her a lot. And I'd rub her little neck and scrub her head a little bit. Then she gets mad at you and doesn't want you to do it anymore. But anyway, you open up the garage door, and it's dark in there because she likes it dark, and her eyes just get really tight and squinty. But she'd meow in such a way that I knew she wanted me to come out and pet her, you know. That's a really long way of saying the atheists may not like it initially when you show up in their lives with some light and they squint at you. But when they realize what you brought into the situation, they'll appreciate it. They really will. Bring it. Bring that light into people's lives. They need Jesus. They really do. They may not have been calling for him or asking for him, but they do. They need him. They need him. And then scratch him behind the head. That's what you do with them. And they've made him into four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, therefore, and this is the worst, therefore, because of everything that was just said, because of everything they decided to do by shutting off the switches and making God out to be something other than he really was, so therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Was at Dana College, that's where I was going to college for my first two semesters and my last two semesters of my college career. As I was there to become a man of God and realized I was studying under people that didn't know God. And they brought in a teacher from a nation, a tribal nation, and uh, because they were all inclusive and everything was God and everything was whatever. And they got up and they started talking and all this and, and, and the whole auditorium was filled and this lady was talking about her faith through um, the great spirit and through the wolf and through the eagle and all these things and I just couldn't stand it anymore because I'm a loud mouth. And they opened it up for questions so I took the opportunity and I stood up. I said, why is it that your nation worships the created as opposed to the creator? It's a little quiet in the auditorium after that. <laughs> They all knew what I was getting at, and they stared at me for a while from the stage, like how dare you ask that question, it was disrespectful, but you know what, this is a Christian college or it's supposed to be, and I just thought, someone's got to ask this question, and all my guys that were in the Bible study with me kind of looked down, looked at me, and they're like, yeah, I'm like, I'm standing up alone here, you guys, you know, they didn't have an answer. Well, the answer was, well, we worship the great spirit. I said, yeah, but you worship those other, And then we moved on. They moved on quickly off that topic. You know, if that's what you want, God will give it to you. And he'll let you have it full strength, unfortunately, because he wants you to realize what sin tastes like and how bad it is. It's like the dad who catches his kid smoking and says, finish the pack. So you're nauseated by the smell and the thought of a cigarette from here on out because it's terrible for you, you know. That's God's thought on this. That's what Paul does in Corinthians. He tells the Corinthian church, you need to get rid of this guy for the destruction of his flesh. And then in 2 Corinthians, he says, bring the guy back because his flesh has been destroyed. Now you can encourage him in the Lord. You don't want him to be swallowed up with too much grief. God does the same thing for this world. If that's what you want, you can have it. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. The sun still shines on those that don't follow God and don't want to have him in their lives, but they still benefit from his existence and from his creation. So God gives them over to uncleanness, the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another men and women committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due homosexuality is a sin that's an abomination to god and will always be an abomination to god and never changes that's an uncomfortable thing to say in 2017 because it is so prevalent in our society as accepted and they're born that way. You're not born that way. God may have given you over because you've decided to shut the light switch off and this is what you want and I want it and he will give you over to it and allow you to go as far as you want to go with it until you've come to the end of it. But you need to find your way back to the Lord. It's not acceptable. It's a sin. Well, it doesn't say anything about women, lesbians, they're okay. No, that's why he says in verse 27, likewise, as he describes the men in detail, what he's describing about the men in detail is likewise what he was talking about in 26. He's including it. It's sin. It's sin. It's something Jesus had to die on the cross for. It's no worse than any other sin out there, but it's still sin. It's not accepted by God. That sin is not accepted by God. And he says that they received the penalty of their error, which was due. But I don't know what that penalty looks like. It could be a lot of different things. I know what my rebellion looks like. I received the penalty of my rebellion in all sorts of other ways. I haven't delved into homosexuality. I haven't given myself over to that sort of thing. But I've given myself over to all sorts of other kinds of sins, and I have received the penalty that was due. Two two DWIs I've got. um, Abortion. Paid for my girlfriend's abortion in high school. I've got that one. Paid that penalty. Um, I've got a lot of them. Just as just as guilty as anybody else out there, but forgiven, and the blood of Jesus Christ has paid for all of my sins. And I'm not going to heaven based on my good deeds or because I've outweighed those terrible things in the past. With this preaching, I mean, my goodness, these Bible studies ought to count for something, right? Nope. Nope, they do not help my salvation one bit at all. I tell you this stuff and I teach this stuff because I love the one who saved me. And I want you to know everything about him as much as I can teach you, as much as he allows me to teach you. So, still a sin, always will be a sin, um, needs to be repented of and can be repented of. Um, in Corinthians, he tells him that. Such were some of you, and he describes those things. All those things. You were those things, Corinthian church. You were those things, but you're not anymore. And to tell someone that they can't be delivered from those things, to tell someone that they're in bondage to those things forever is mean, and that's um, it's not Christ-like. Jesus says you can be delivered. I died for those sins. I can set you free from those things. I was an alcoholic too. Was. I don't have to go and say, Hi, my name's J.D. Dirks, and I'm an alcoholic because I'm not anymore. I've been set free. I'm completely clean and sober and been free from alcohol. Not a, I'm a, not an alcoholic anymore. Um, and I want you to know that too, that you can be set free from all of your addictions. Completely set free from them. You don't have to be that person anymore. You were those things, but now you're in Christ. You've been set free. These are hard things to say because even the Christian community has accepted most of these things. And to accept these things as okay and not sin means you do not believe this first chapter of Romans. You don't believe it. Jesus said it. God said it in the Old Testament. Jesus said it in the New Testament. Paul's saying it. Peter even says that Paul's writings are scripture, which means they're God breathed. Um. You've got a problem then with your Christianity. It isn't Christianity. It's something you've made it. You're creating God. You're creating a belief system that is not biblical. It's not accepted by God. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality. Now he's going to go through a list. Wickedness. That's just a general thing, I guess. Hi, I'm wickedness. Covetousness, maliciousness, which means you're doing it on purpose. You find joy in doing it on purpose, you know. Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, Proud boasters, inventors of evil things. They They create things and they try to do worse. Disobedient to parents. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. What's the list of the people that have decided to not follow God, to flip off the switch of God's light in their lives, to worship the created as opposed to the creator and so on? We want to be careful of all these things. A a couple of these things stick out to me. You usually focus on the sexually immoral. I think we all know what that is, what that looks like. Um, If you don't, God will show you. Covetousness is wanting what other people have, what God hasn't given you, but they have and you want it. And you can become envious of those things, which turns into covetousness, which means you'll do anything to take it from them kind of thing. People hate good things. They hate things that are going well. They try to find fault. They become full of envy. I envy, murder. Jesus even declared that that wasn't necessarily killing somebody, but killing something in your, killing them in your mind, hating them without a cause is considered murder. Killing isn't, but murder is. Strife, just strife in general. Strife in your marriage. Strife in a church, strife at your business, strife with employees, strife with employers, strife in general, sin. Not to strive, not to be (laughs) strifing, you know? This is the one that catches me the most. This is what I wanted to focus on, though, a little bit, was this whispering thing. This whispering. I think it all goes together when he describes that whispering. Whispering and backbiting kind of go together. They really do. Because you don't want to backbite in front of anybody or out loud because they might hear you. So you whisper it. I'm always cautious about the whispering conversations, even in our church. It's one thing to be counseling someone privately in a closed room or something, but when there's whispering going on and when someone else walks by it, the conversation stops, I'm betting you 90% of the time that conversation should have never been started. What's with the whispering? Why are things said quietly and secretly, and, you know? Jesus says that everything and every thought's going to be shouted from the mountaintops. Everybody's going to know what you've ever said. It's all recorded anyway. Best guard your mouths. Clark is the commentator that had a great way of putting this whispering. Whispering, what is whispering? He, he dug into it a little bit because he wasn't sure what it meant, you know? And he says, it's the assassination, it's the clandestine assassination of someone's character. Ooh, that's three great words. is isn't clandestine. I've always wanted to use that word. Assassination, wow, of someone's character. It could even be true, he said. It may even be true statements. But the point and the, the purpose behind the whispering is to clandestinely assassinate someone's character, as opposed to love which covers a multitude of sins, keeps no record of wrongs, and wouldn't be whispering. Love doesn't whisper. And backbiters. There's someone who smiles at you and then they stab you. We know what that is. Haters of God. Right after those two, haters of God, violent. Just violent. Flat out violent. They're just rough. They're rough with their wife. They're rough with their kids. Hair trigger. Violent. It's not good proud. Um, Pride comes in all sorts of different ways. And here's the thing, as I go through this, and I'm not trying to point out any of them, every one of us can fall into these things once in a while. I've whispered, you know, I've been angry, violent at times. I've even backbit. Gosh, I wouldn't have. I wish I hadn't done that kind of thing. We all slip into those things. I think that's why Paul writes in Corinthians at the end there when he's when he's trying to encourage them, you were those things. Remember that those things aren't okay. Remember that those things were what you were saved from. And I think that's what this list really should be about. Not we shouldn't have any of these things in our lives, but when they develop, when they show up, when they ex- unexpectedly happen, hopefully unexpectedly not determined to do it. That you were those things and that God set you free from those things. Those things ought not be. They ought not even be named among you as as believers. And then he goes into the un-things. You're undiscerning. You're not discerning. You're not able to discern. We can go through those pretty quick and not even think about them, but to not be able to discern means you cannot figure out why things are happening the way they're happening. I don't understand. You're undiscerning. He wants us to be discerning. A Christian, a believer, a follower of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, is discerning. He's able to discern the matter, the situation. He's able to discern it. Unforgiving, or un- untrustworthy. They're not trustworthy. You can't trust them. They become an untrustworthy person in your life. You, you should be that trustworthy person. I know that if I say to them, do this, that they're going to do it. You know. Again, you may forget... I forgot an anniversary, right? doesn't mean I'm untrustworthy. It means I'm just a bonehead and I get, th- I meant to. And you make it up and you apologize and you get right with them, you know, kind of thing. But trustworthy, unloving, they are just an unloving person. They don't have love for others. Unforgiving, they don't forgive. They hold it. They hold it in store. It comes out later on. I'll wait and use this as ammo when it's appropriate, when I'm down. That's how I'll beat them, with this thing I'm keeping in my back pocket. No, forgive. Unmerciful. They have no mercy for those around them. Who, knowing the righteousness, or knowing the righteous judgment of God, they know it. That those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. There's a lot there. I mean, I think it's a lot more serious than Paul's saying when you watch TV. I mean, I think it includes that. But when you watch TV, don't be watching adultery. You're approving of their adultery. And that's true. I mean, that is a true statement. But I think it's, it's much more serious than just that. Although that shouldn't be slighted. Don't misunderstand me. Don't watch adultery. Don't watch things that are, you know, that. But he's taking it a step further. You know how God feels about that. And yet, you not only practice it also, knowing that God hates it, but you also approve of those, you encourage others, you teach others to do the same thing, you know? Well, I know God hates lying, but every white lie now and then is actually beneficial, because you don't want people to get their feelings hurt. So, son, and now you're teaching your kids, you know, it's okay to lie once in a while. Um, You don't want to tell them all the truth. That's what he's getting at. So that's our first chapter of Romans. My goodness, how many more are there? How many chapters in Romans? I didn't even look yet. 16? It's going to be a fun 16 weeks, isn't it? It is. It is. So let me end on this. It's a fun 16 weeks because Paul wants them to know the truth. And the truth sets us free. We didn't even realize we were in bondage to any of these things, we didn't realize we were in bondage to some of these thoughts. Wow, that's mind-blowing that God thinks that way about those certain things. I thought they were okay. I've been told they were okay my whole life. They're not okay. You're going to be set free as you take in the Word of God. As we go through 16 chapters of Romans, if you receive it in your heart with gladness and change your view and your opinion to match God's Word, you'll be set free. You'll be closer to complete, perfect peace because you're lining up with God or maybe the first time in your life. So it is a good thing. It'll be a good 16 chapters. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We do. Your word is true. Let every man be a liar. Your word is true. And so God, when we come across in the next 16 chapters, things that we're, we didn't know were wrong, we didn't know were what we should be doing, or what we shouldn't be doing, God, help us to line up with you. Let this be a, a calibration time for our Christian walk. Would you calibrate us? Get us within spec, God. Lord, we want to be right where you want us to be. We want to be the kind of uh, sons and daughters that you've called us to be. We want to be just like you. We truly want to be Christians. We want to be little Christs down here that have light, that turn on light, that bring light, that don't bring more darkness into a dark situation. As uncomfortable as it may be for other people, we want to be light in this world. And So God, help us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's faithfulness to write all 16 chapters. While he had nothing better to do as he's waiting in Corinth, he decides to write this beautiful letter, and we benefit from it. So we're thankful for his pause in his ministry. He wanted to move on. He wanted to get going, but he stayed because he couldn't go anywhere else, and because of that, we were blessed. Lord, help us to see our pauses in our ministries or in our walks with you with that same um, understanding, God, with that discernment that it may be for a purpose that we're stopped or that we're paused so that we can do something even greater for a long-term effect, Lord. So Thank you, Lord. Thank you for our relationship with you. Strengthen it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.